WCBN FM Ann Arbor The only station with me Laurel Federbush So far Well, uh, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And blabbing my head off, I'm Jim Dwyer. What a strange week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was, uh, I don't know, Trump had a kind of a, one of his, one of the worst weeks of his presidency, in my opinion, just because he was all over the map. And uh, we have to once again begin to question his sanity um let's remember last week we were i was actually talking about john mccain's uh blood clot how that would affect the health care uh, voting because he clearly was going to be as i put it on the 15-day disabled list but it turns out it might be more than the 15-day disabled list and obviously it was announced later in the week that he's got a rather uh, serious form of brain cancer, pointing out the irony that Ted Kennedy had, had the same disease, actually. Uh, John McCain, obviously, <laughs> we don't want to talk about him yet. But it's interesting that he did issue a statement later in the week, apparently from his house, because he apparently went home <laughs> denouncing Trump's... Uh, new policy of cutting off the so-called Syrian rebels as part of the agenda of Trump last week. Obviously, it started out kind of with this uh, bizarre report about the undisclosed meeting with Vladimir Putin without translators. The sidebar meeting that... uh, Except the Russian translators. The Russian translators, the only one. It didn't even emerge uh, until a couple days later that that it had happened. Yeah. <clears throat> and and there's a dispute about how long it lasted. Apparently, it it did last uh, an hour, you know. And I, well, look, Harry Hopkins met with Stalin. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt met with Stalin, uh, but the American translator was always present, <laughs> in addition to a Russian translator. And the reason you don't want to be in a position where only their translator is present. Uh, is that disputes about what was said begin to emerge. And miscommunication and the, the, the suspicion that America and Russia have had over the many, many decades has been a big part of some of the hyperbole involving the Cold War, in fact. Uh, different interpretations of what was promised, what was said. Uh, these things are part of the murky aspects of diplomacy. And I don't know whether Trump promised uh, to cut off the Syrian rebels to Putin. Well, but who knows? Yeah, you begin to see things piling up in Putin's lap that looked like gifts. Yeah. Obama didn't want to do a face-to-face meeting with Putin. Trump was anxious to. Um, 
He even was anxious to get up from the table, go to another table, to the uh, bewilderment of all in attendance, um, and join Putin for for another meeting. Especially Macron, because apparently they'd been holding hands at at one point. (laughs) Pretty much. And then a couple days later, it emerges that, oh, uh, this will please the Russians. Uh, The U.S. isn't going to fund the Syrian rebels anymore. So uh, you start to add those things up and wonder, well, those seem like gifts of a kind. What kind of gifts did Trump get? Yeah. And, of course, the the Syrian situation is incredibly complicated. In fact, there were uh, some <clears throat> bizarre uh, strikes uh, at the border between Lebanon and Syria uh, this past week. The great quote here in the uh, Times article by Julie Hirschfeld Davis about this uh, side meeting with Putin in which uh, Stephen Pfeiffer, former ambassador to Ukraine and currently a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute, observes, quote, If I was in the Kremlin, my recommendation to Putin would be, see if you can get this guy alone. And that's what it sounds like he was able to do. <laughs> well, who knows? Obviously, uh, the news this week is that Congress is going to pass a new sanctions bill and Trump is going to be forced to sign it. Uh, this is called the veto-proof congressional margin. Uh, It's played a big role in American history, by the way. One of the most famous vetoes uh, in American history was the Taft-Hartley Act Hmm. by Truman. The Republicans in Congress had the votes to override that, and they did, and that became the law. Uh, Taft-Hartley is related to a right-to-work situation. To Truman's credit, he vetoed it. But he couldn't stop the bill from happening. And, of course, another famous uh, event involving the veto-proof margin in Congress were sanctions against South Africa. Ronald Reagan repeatedly vetoed sanctions bills against South Africa during the apartheid regime uh, because P.W. Botha was one of his friends. And, of course, that was an incredibly embarrassing problem for the United States globally. Uh, All people in the world recognized that the apartheid regime had to go, and apartheid itself had to go. And it's outrageous that Reagan uh, would veto such a thing, but congressional override occurred. And part of that is really attributable, too, to uh, what's easy for younger people today to forget, is the Cold War mentality. Part of the reason that Nelson Mandela had been turned over by a tip from the uh, CIA was that, uh, oh, the ANC, uh, they work with communists. Yeah. So it goes all the way back to that crap. And, of course, that was Reagan's uh, public justification for vetoing the bill. Uh, he'd been kind of out to lunch for a couple of years on that subject. Uh, one other just really famous example are the neutrality acts that were passed in the 1930s. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt didn't want to sign those bills, but that was part of the isolationist period, and there were several neutrality bills passed in 35, 36, and 37, as I recall. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt was forced to sign them, uh, even though he publicly opposed them. So uh, we're seeing that with the Russian situation, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to get into the Kushner stuff. I, I think that is a real sideshow. But it's strange that— You're talking about his— His testimony today, his meeting with the congressional investigators. He didn't actually testify yet. 
But it's bizarre that uh, during the week, uh, the Washington Post, for instance, reported fairly extensively that Donald Trump has taken $150 million of loans from Deutsche Bank, estimated to be as much as $400 million. These are major issues. This is what Mueller, uh, Robert Mueller, is looking into. Well, and it was that information uh, that rendered uh, Trump tweet mad in the middle of the week. Uh, sure. He went live tweet crazy during his New York Times interview. And that's where he threw Sessions under the bus sure. and tried to draw a line in the sand for Mueller. You know, they better not investigate personal finances because that's none of their business. This They better stick to the plan, the program of the Russia stuff. But uh, studying the finances has always been the question because, dude, if you'd released your taxes, this wouldn't be an issue. Sure. And, of course, follow the money is a famous uh, deep throat mm -hmm. uh, piece of advice to Woodward. Uh, during the Watergate investigation because many of the cover-ups that Nixon and company were involved in were covering up not only uh, dubious personal <laughs> loans that went way back, but also uh, corporate loans that were uh, illegal. Uh, basically, individuals were using corporate money to disguise the fact that they were donating money to the committee to reelect the president, that was part of the bigger cover-up of the numerous crimes of Watergate. Sessions, of course, is under the bus. Uh, he doesn't have a toe tag on yet. But uh, he must be somewhat bewildered at Trump's uh, outrage. You'd think that would sort of spread ripples throughout the rest of the cabinet, too, that like, sheesh. He's one of his earliest supporters. Well, yeah, and he's probably his most aggressive pursuer of Trump's very dubious agenda. policies yeah. on immigration. Sessions wants to revive the war on drugs. He's, he's a big hawk on the uh, deportation and travel ban baloney. And, of course, he's also heavily involved in the voting rights uh, shenanigans. Um so on the policy issues, Sessions is actually Trump's most loyal soldier. <laughs> he contradicts him the least in public. Um, so that That's is a great measurement to yeah. set a standard by, right? Well, it is interesting how Nikki Haley and Rex Tillerson frequently have to stay say, oh, well, the president meant this. Yeah. He tweeted this. He doesn't mean that. Don't take him seriously. American policy, and Mattis has had to do the same thing mm -hmm. because Trump uh, is a confused, demented orange grandpa. He's an angry orange grandpa. He can't figure out where he is or what he's trying to do, but most of it involves Boodle and his ego. And for him, by the end of the week, to be openly discussing pardoning himself... Do -do 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 -do. Yeah. Uh, um, it, it, I mean, it, it kind of went full circle. It's almost like he's threatening vicariously Mueller, uh -huh. saying, well, even if you nail my orange butt, <laughs> I'll pardon myself. Now, whether the president can pardon himself is still a, a constitutional debate. I think that's a pretty sketchy argument. Yeah. I mean, even if you could find a way to, you know, semantically 
iron that sucker out. I mean, this guy doesn't care what things look like. No. I mean, to say that out loud, even, as an idea, um, is bizarre. Yeah. Well, it's bizarre, and of course, the author of the notion that the president can pardon himself uh, turns out to be Robert Bork. <laughs> Another skeleton from Nixon's Watergate past. Robert Bork was the uh, solicitor general who fired Archibald Cox uh, during the infamous Saturday Night Massacre. And I would like to point out to Mr. Trump that Nixon may well have survived Watergate had he not fired Archibald Cox. Archibald Cox at that point was trying to get uh, control of the tapes. Um, that was mainly the dispute back in October of 73. And ironically, Nixon's uh, approval ratings had recovered a little bit over the summer, despite all of the amazing revelations regarding Watergate. Um, but once the Saturday Night Massacre occurred, and that, of course, was when <clears throat> um, Richard Nixon ordered uh, Attorney General Elliot Richardson, who was brought in specifically because he was so clean-cut, so reputable, such a great reputation for integrity, bipartisan, all that other stuff, to be the Attorney General. Klein Dietz had uh, resigned uh, as part of the first massacre, that was when Haldeman and Ehrlichman were allowed to resign and John Dean was fired back in April. Um, this created a constitutional crisis, so to speak, and uh, Bork, who was basically the number three, he became the acting attorney general after William Ruckelshaus resigned as a result of the firing of Elliot Richardson by Richard Nixon. Um, and Richardson told Nixon in no uncertain terms that he would not carry out this order. <laughs> so for Trump to be openly talking about pardons um, is rather bizarre. Uh, we do know, by the way, that the president has the right to pardon. But whether he has the right to pardon before an indictment, we don't know. George H.W. Bush pardoned the Iran-Contra figures. Um, they were indicted but not tried. And uh, Lawrence Walsh wrote a book, said this was a massive cover-up of the Iran-Contra affair. Of course, Bush was going out the door. H.W. <laughs> Bush was back in 92 when he made the pardon. Casper Weinberger probably being the most eminent of those people. But the pardon discussions openly and tweeting about it is bizarre, to say the least. Yeah, interesting to see that the uh, precedent afforded uh, to uh, Trump and company uh, by the Clinton impeachment. Yeah. Um, the Star Committee's uh, consideration of, well, is the 25th Amendment applicable in a scenario where in the president is incapable of uh, fulfilling and performing his duties as chief executive because of uh, personal legal concerns uh, pertaining to uh, wrongdoings before uh, he was in office. Mm -hmm. And the arguments made in the Star Committee were that, yes, that is an appropriate application of the 25th Amendment. Um, so uh, 
Trump Putin, if we want to give him that new name as one of his many <laughs> new names. Uh, there yeah. are many, many colorful uh, appellations for uh, the name that so many people are sick of saying and hearing. Um, that uh, fabulous to see the star uh, committee report make a return and do a uh, legal significance. Yeah, a third-rate work of pornography and a fifth-rate legal brief. That's my opinion of it. And that, of course, is a vicarious reference to Watergate itself. Uh, by the way, the Ken Starr whole investigation that went on for years started out as an investigation of Hillary Clinton when she was first lady of Arkansas. So it seems to me that uh, if financial <laughs> investigations are credible and worthwhile in pursuing, uh, Donald Trump's real estate uh, ventures are part of that. The issue is not whether Donald Trump uh, has been loaned money by Russia. It's all of the other oligarchs. It's what does Trump owe to who and why. Um, of course, Sean Spicer, uh, as you and I had predicted for months, uh, was not going to last long, and he resigned at the end of the week. And by the way, this Scaramucci character is a real work <laughs> of I gotta, art. Yeah. Before we we get to him, though, let me just uh, what a week. I mean, wrap it up uh, for for Spicy here. Um, in uh, what day was this? Uh, Wednesday's New York Times. Maggie Haberman has an article. That's politics. Trump says about Sun's Russia meeting. And three or four paragraphs in, uh, a tweet from Trump is included. Quote, most politicians would have gone to a meeting like the one Don Jr. attended in order to get info on an opponent. Mr. Trump wrote just after 10 a.m., that's politics. Well, he sort of billed himself as, I'm not a politician. We're not, we don't want to do politics as sure. usual. And now, well, that's politics. It's okay. Uh, Sean Spicer, one of his last official uh, functions as uh, uh, mouth of Sauron, um, was this fabulous syntactical minefield. I mean, this is, I'm reading this right from the, the page here mm -hmm. carefully so you can just try to grasp it. It's amazing. It sounds like someone suffering from an aphasia. Quote, it is quite often for people who are given information during the heat of a campaign to ask what that is. That's what simply he did. The president's... Uh, made it clear through his tweet. Wow. Okay. It is quite often for people who are given. And uh, that's simply, that's what simply he did. Sean Spicer, uh, a fabulous performance in one of the most uh, admired uh, stand-up comedy entertainers of uh, the year. Well, he got off to a bad start, to say the least, and obviously he will be immortalized by the Melissa McCarthy uh, Melissa routine. McCarthy routine one week later. One of Spicer's most uh, amazing uh, claims as press secretary, and I just want to read this because this is uh, this is classic, was back when <clears throat> the headline says Trump aid very confident wiretap evidence is coming. Mm. This is when Donald Trump accused Obama of wiretapping Trump Tower with no evidence at hand or anywhere near the planet Earth. Uh, he had made this 
Back in March. Back in March. And this article is from March, March 15th. And the article says, in the latest verbal acrobatics over President Trump's allegation that President Barack Obama spied on him during the 2016 campaign, a White House spokesman on Tuesday said he was confident Mr. Trump's claim would eventually be found to be true. Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, said he was very confident that the Justice Department would submit data to the House Intelligence Committee after it missed a deadline on Monday. And, of course, those investigations are continuing. Uh, By the way, the House Intelligence Committee has been all muddled up with other conflicts of interest. Spicer said Mr. Trump is, quote, extremely confident that there will be evidence to support his accusation. Quote, there is significant reporting about surveillance techniques that have existed throughout the 2016 election. I'll leave it to them to issue their report, but I think he feels very confident that it will ultimately come and vindicate him, come out, come of this. It's confused by his syntax. <laughs> it's hard to read it out loud sometimes. Uh, Julie Hirschfield Davis wrote that article on March 15th. This, of course, was the problem of being the press secretary for Donald Trump. And and this is why Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do the Fandango, is not really going to fare much better. I mean, stylistically, yeah. he's like a mini-me version of Trump. Yeah. Um, well, he's a, he's, a, he's a slick Wall Street operator, and... I had heard him a lot, by the way, uh, during the uh, campaign on BBC. He was one of the delegated Trump defenders at at a certain point, um, particularly on the economic issues. Uh, He's a Wall Street guy. And by the way, there are numerous questions, numerous questions about this hedge fund that he's trying to sell. Uh, One of the questionable things about the hedge fund and this relates, by the way, to Trump's finances, is how Donald Trump can consistently sell condominiums in Florida to Russian oligarchs at incredibly high prices. Uh, This is a kind of wink-wink, nod-nod, does-she-go kind of deal that uh, is bribery, disguised as bribery, in which people overpay by large margins on assets that they buy. And Scaramucci's deal apparently has been hung up a little bit on this problem. These Russian oligarchs can't keep that much money in country, and so they have to find safe ways to stash it uh, elsewhere in investments that are not really investments, but it's sort of like an artificial holding company. Sure. And, of course, it is the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's the wink. (laughs) (laughs) With the money. Uh, in which people overpay for things. Um, Trump's fundamental problem at this point, uh, after six months in office, he's got a lot of problems, but I think his fundamental problem is that this is a man. Let's remember, he just passed a six-month initiation. Mm. It's actually encouraging to realize that his presidency is one-eighth over. (laughs) And maybe less. I'm still standing by my 10-month prediction. So who knows? But his fundamental problem is that he continues to be obsessed about the election. 
Well, even Kushner's comments today yeah. outside mm-hmm. the White House yeah. after he had appeared behind closed doors, the, I mean, there wasn't really anything useful uh, information-wise that he had to share with us, the lowly public, no. through the hated media outlets uh, that uh, somehow continuously exempt and exclude Fox Network from the revelation of the, oh, they're part of the media too. But no, Kushner couches his phrasing and uh, the A, that he did not, he, he's never relied on Russian money in any of his businesses. Interesting phrase there, rely on it. It leaves a lot of wiggle room, legally speaking. And nobody's accused him of that. Right. <laughs> so it's Donald Trump they're interested in. <laughs> Manafort, we know, has relied on Russian money to, uh, uh, juggle his uh, finances. But the other thing that Kushner sort of snuck into his little comments was uh, uh, it's absurd uh, to suggest that uh, the Russians helped uh, Trump win. He ran a smarter campaign for less money with a better message. And um, it, to suggest otherwise is to insult the people who voted for him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of those people feel insulted. Yeah, and of course, Trump... And some wouldn't get it anyway. <laughs> Trump made this ridiculous, uh, you know, he got into trouble on this uh, voting stuff back in November when he kept insisting both on Twitter and in various uh, public appearances in which he appeared with Jeff Sessions, Jeff Beauregard Sessions. After all, it was the Azalea Trail Maids. That's right. <laughs> I, I had forgotten my photographs from the cotillion. <laughs> they met him twice in Mobile, Alabama, all dressed up in their petticoats and bonnets. Uh, it's quite a photograph. Not one, but two. Uh, Mobile, Alabama. Se- I mean, Sessions, by the way, was the only senator uh, at one point who actually endorsed Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was... Put into, and of course, now there are new questions about his wiretapping of him involving the Russian ambassador. It's fascinating, by the way, that Kis- Kislyak has uh, apparently returned to Russia. <laughs> Mission accomplished. He's, he's too hot. <laughs> uh, ridiculous. But so he's conveniently out of the picture now. Um, I don't think he's going to end up in a, in a gulag archipelago, archipelago anywhere. Um, but you know, this, this whole thing is incredible because Trump has consistently gone on about the theory that there was massive voter fraud. Yep. And that's why he's assembled this bogus committee. He has a commission uh, studying the matter. A certain Chris Kobach, secretary of state from Kansas, who investigated voter fraud in Kansas, by the way, discovered that there were five illegal votes. And four of them were for Trump. Five. Five. Total of five. And four of them were for Trump. I wonder how much that uh, investigation cost there to uh, find those five. A couple of them voted twice in Kansas. One of them voted in two different states. Um, What's become of them, I don't know. But uh, this notion that there was widespread voter fraud is ridiculous. And, of course, that was the, the, you know, illusory so-called fact, fake news fact, uh, that he threw out there when it was rubbed in his face that he had lost the popular vote. Oh, that's where those three million came from. 
In fact, it's fascinating. The, the, the headline that day in which Trump began the baseless claim of illegal voting, it says, no proof of millions. And then underneath it, it says, internal rift grows over potential of Romney as State Department. So this was back during the transition period. Trump has stuck with this uh, obsession ever since. Um, it's bizarre, by the way, that he's going out on yet another campaign appearance next week. Uh, a fundraiser, I understand. In Ohio, I believe, speaking to some Boy Scouts today in Virginia. Okay, I know the president can do these things, but uh, it seems to me he ought to get busy actually doing his job. Uh, his first task, by the way, might be to read the second um, article of the United States Constitution and skip the Second Amendment. Uh, he's familiar with that one. But Article 2, of course, outlines what the president does, and it might be a good idea if he would start doing it. Um, you know, obviously, after six months, Trump's uh, accomplishments are almost zero, um, and other than... Uh, being a very active uh, supporter of more pollution in the United States, withdrawing from the global uh, voluntary climate deal, and expanding our wars uh, in Africa, the Middle East, and the Pakistan area is uh, <clears throat> exceedingly troubling. And how bizarre that Eric Prince of Blackwater fame and I think you mentioned this last week, would make a reappearance promoting the idea of privatizing the military in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. that this would be our new solution. It's incredible. I say get out of Afghanistan. Who's ever heard of Jerry Moran? Nobody until last week. Who was he? The senator from Kansas who came out publicly said, I can't vote for the health care right. reforms. Who is he? He's a backbencher in the Republican Party who was the only senator who actually met with the voters. He went to a town hall meeting in a small Kansas town, rural town of about 252. They said about 160 people from the town showed up at the town hall meeting. They gave him an earful, and he said, guess what? We got to start listening. We got to use bipartisanship. And he's the one that bucked the party. Of course, he was immediately swamped with all this other news, and he's disappeared back to obscurity. But I want to give Jerry Moran some congratulations for having the guts to stick his neck out, say, this, let's do this right, not rush through. Let's have hearings. That's where health care should be. Well, and Susan Collins from Maine, yeah. too, is asserting a spine and saying this does not work for <laughs> yeah. the needs of my constituents. And Shelley Moore Cabuto and Lisa Murkowski. There have been enough opposition uh, announcements that uh, this Mitch McConnell secret bill drafted by the Gang of 13 <laughs> with no public hearings behind closed doors. And all no women. White old men. Uh, for good measure, uh, simply cannot stand any scrutiny. And it's bizarre that Trump would even still be promoting this. 
well, some sort of a solution. None of these GOP health care proposals really seem to have much to do at all with either health or care. Well, on that uh, friendly note, and obviously this is something we can take up,